Okay, so welcome to class number five, today's class. We're going to talk about, <clears throat> as we continue in our series on impact of Judaism that has on the best of modern thinking in the civilized world. In today's class, we're going to talk about the gift of the Torah's commandment, of the Ten Commandments. The number six, remember the Sabbath day and make it holy and what it has given to all of society. And it's going to be a little bit of a different context, because in the way, as we'll soon see how it unfolds. So, <clears throat> before we discuss how Shabbos is a gift to the rest of the world from the Jews, where, where, and of course it is, as we'll soon see on what part of it was, but there's something worth noting that is unique about Shabbos in regard to Shabbos in retrospect to any other commandment that the Jewish people were given in the Torah. And to start off today, we're going to be starting on text number on page 140, text number one, where the Talmud tells us something about the, unique, the uniqueness of the commandment of the Jewish people told to keep the Sabbath. Text number one, page 140. God said to Moses, I have a precious gift in my storehouse of hidden treasures, and Shabbat is his name, and I desire to give it to the Jewish people, go and inform them. So what is the Shabbos? Number one, God tells us it's a special gift to the Jewish people. But what is that gift of Shabbos? Anybody here want to share how Shabbos is a gift in, their, in your life? Rest from the rest of the week. Okay, rest. Okay. Yeah, he gets to have a special cereal. Oh, <laughs> special cereal. Okay. Special cereal? Special Shabbos cereal. That means sugary cereal. Yes? Okay. No errand running? Delicious challah. Delicious challah. Okay. So, everybody brought some beautiful, nice benefits and joys of keeping Shabbos. But if you look at the word that the Talmud uses, the Talmud uses a terminology, I have a gift in my storehouse of hidden treasures. What are the hidden treasures that God tells us, that God has for us in the giving of Shabbos? And if we look at the Shabbos, you know, they say about this guy, that he was awaiting Shabbos. Every single day he was waiting for Saturday. He says, nothing ruins a Friday. I'm sorry. Nothing ruins a Friday more than finding out it's really Tuesday. Right? <laughs> nothing ruins a Friday more than finding out it's really Tuesday. Right? But what does it mean from now? What does it mean that as much as you enjoy Shabbos, you will enjoy it more and more and more for the reasons that we're going to discuss and we'll see that perhaps the greatest gift of Shabbos is the fact that Shabbos is unique, it's sacred, and it is something which is a bond, a sign of a bond that exists between us and God. In fact, one of the reasons why we don't put on tefillin on Shabbos, because tefillin is a sign that we are connected to God, and the very virtue of the Sabbath is a connection that we and God are connected. As we see in text number two, 
Text number two tells us, You shall guard my Shabbos, for it is a sign between me and you throughout the ages that you may know that I am God who sanctifies you. So by guarding the Shabbos, what we are in essence doing is guarding a relationship with God. We preserve and sanctify that relationship and realize that that relationship is a gift that gives, keeps on giving. So we will see over here that number one, we know first of all, just to start off, Shabbos is not a gift for the world, but it's actually a gift that was given to the Jewish people. And a special gift that was given to the Jewish people, which intensifies as time goes on, infinite type of benefit, celebrates the bond and the sacredness that we have with God. Having said that, today we're going to talk about some of the observable purposes that many of you mentioned here, and we're going to elaborate on that, and the benefits of Shabbos that the Jewish people have enjoyed for thousands of years, as well as elements of Shabbos that can also be applied to the nations of the world. And as we're going to see as this class unfolds, one of the differences between this gift to the world is that technically speaking, as we're going to see, a non-Jew can't observe Shabbos. So what we have over here is, and they're not commanded to observe Shabbos, so therefore the actual technicality of Shabbos is not the gift that was given to the world. What we're going to see is the elements that exist within Shabbos, or the benefits that we gain from Shabbos, how they then became gifts and part of the society and so on, and how it impacted modern society as well, as we will see, and even is the latest. So today, the benefits, you don't have to tell anybody, or convince anybody, the benefit of taking vacation. Anybody has no problem. You offer any employee to take vacation, nobody is going to refuse. As long as they get paid. And if they, or if you paid the vacation, either one, right? But nobody is going to argue that taking a break is going to increase your overall productivity. There are different places that they want to cut down the work week to four days a week. They say there's better productivity. I think it's in Switzerland or something. Or in different countries where they say they give them, a, I think in Europe, a lot of European countries, they have a two-hour break in the middle of the day where the people come back. They even found out in different companies, you can in the more progressive type of companies, they have gyms and cleaners. There's no hours when you have to check in and check out. Everybody today knows that having a some type of uh, time down helps in productivity. But that was not always the way, case, and that was not always obvious. In ancient times, they viewed a person who went on vacation as lazy. And I'm sure you know older people who refuse to take vacations and so on, not because they can't, just because, what do you think? I'm not insignificant. They think if they don't show up one day to work, the place will close down. People think they're not needed. They, they'll, you know, all different things that people have in their mind. But there is some type of style, type of lingering mindset that if you take a break, then you become all of a sudden indispensable. You become dispensable instead of <laughs> indispensable, whatever it may be. But in ancient times, it was even more so, to the extent that we find that there was a fellow, as we mentioned him in other classes in Greek culture, there was a Hellenist by the name of Philo, who he had to, uh, so to speak, um, justify. The Jewish people's observance of Shabbos, not out of laziness. You can see it in text number three. We have over here, one of the philosophers, Seneca, derives the observance of Shabbos an inexpedient because Jews thus lose one-seventh of their lives in idleness and often indeed suffer loss through failure to act in time of urgency. 
Did you see this is what they called the Jews, that they were not there in the times of urgency, that they were relaxed and not doing their job. The charge that Jews are lazy may have been originated in the idleness of the seventh day. Indeed, Philo seems to be answering such a charge when he says, on this day of the Sabbath, we are commanded to abstain from all work, not because the law inculcates slackness, on the contrary, it always endures, endures, I'm sorry, endures men to endure hardship and incite them to labor. So if you hear Philo, you see who is the Hellenist Jew. He was defining Judaism to his audience of the Alexandrian Hellenist philosophers. And he needed to go out of his way to say that the very fact that they took a day off is not because of slackness in the terms that he brings here, but only it incites them to work more. So it goes to show that in the times when many people looked at Shabbos, or not only Shabbos, but looked at vacation or taking a break from work, was something which was ill-advised and was a product of laziness. So what we see over here is basically that the Greeks and the Romans mocked the Jews for taking a seven-day off, and they looked at it that they were not being productive because of it. Before we go into the concept of rest, let's look at the other side of the coin. Were the Romans and the Greeks so mistaken in their thinking that stopping work for 24 hours each weekend is counterintuitive. Was that the right thing to do? Isn't the job of the human being, moreover, we know that a fundamental Jewish value is to work. What does it say in Proverbs? Man was created to toil. Or as we know, the part of working is considered a Jewish, and ra- a Jewish value, a Jewish ethics. For example, back all the way from the first Jew. Here's an interesting medrash, text number four. When Abraham was traveling through Aram Narayim and Aram Nachor, he saw the inhabitants eating, the inhabitants eating and drinking and reveling. He said, may I have no portion in this land, he exclaimed. But when he reached the cliffs of Tyre, which is the beginning of the land of Canaan, which today is the land of Israel, he saw them busying themselves with weeding during the season of weeding, hoeing during the season of hoeing. If only my portion can be in this land, he exclaimed, God said to him, to your children, I shall give this land. What did Abraham see? Abraham saw people who were just relaxing and doing nothing as an, as an evil, as something not good. But when he saw people working, he saw this as a necessary evil, so to speak, but not as a necessary, I'm sorry, not as a necessary evil, but as a virtue and a value that we should emulate. And he says, no, this is the place I want. And that's why Abraham's attitude towards work was, I want this place where I see people have a culture to work, a culture to work hard. That's where I want to be. Where did Abraham get that from? Why did Abraham value toil and work so much? And that is because, in the te- as we see in text number 5, in the seventh day of, on the sixth day of creation, God says, page 144, on the seventh day God completed His work and He had done, And God blessed the seventh day and he sanctified it, for on it he rested from all his work, which God created to make. Look what you find interesting in these words. The commentaries explain, if you look at the last sentence, he rested from all his work, which God created to make. Isn't that redundant? If he rested from all his work, that's what he made. Why does it have to say, which God created to make? And the commentaries explain because... God created to make. What does that mean? God created us to make. God created us human beings to make this world better, to perfect the world that he created. God created an imperfect world. 
and he wanted us to improve it and with science and with time we continue to improve the world he created the world perfectly with all the resources of humanity to develop that means everything with us in the world you dig deep enough you'll find diamonds you'll find metal you'll find all the natural resources of everything we need all of science exists within humanity nobody's creating something from new but he gave it for us to make to develop to partner with him in the creation of the world and part of the human human condition is that when god created the world that we should continue to develop and complete the world and bring it to its perfection the human mission is that we as people should work we're not meant to sit back at home and just sit on the couch potato we should be working and therefore he created us and being that he created it for us to do so we have no choice we got to work not only that even a step further Hasidism and mysticism explains the moment we work when we go and do our job in this world we are in essence partnering with god in the act of creation god said i have given you the avenue I have given you the resources, now go make something out of it. I gave you the paint, the canvas, now make a beautiful drawing. By creating the world in a way that development is required, what God is saying is, look, I, didn't, I gave you a world, everything's in it, but now you can get joy, you can get excitement, you can feel productive by the very fact that you accomplish something, and even think it's your own to a certain extent, just like God does. Text number six. The truest and ultimate definition of goodness is for a person to achieve a state of being similar to the Creator. This is why God wants people to meet their needs through toil and effort. God desires that we become more than recipient creatures. More than recipient creatures. God desires that we become givers, akin to the Creator. Thereby, we become partners with God in all of creation. By toiling and obtaining the resources, what happens? A person says, look what I did. Look what I made. You have pride in the work you did. If God would just give us everything on a silver platter, would there be any pride in any work? It's just moving it from here to there. But over here, God makes us think that we are actually scientists and developing and creating and coming up with new ideas. But really, where is it all? It's in the ground and God put it there just for us to uncover. But what we do when we uncover these blessings that God has put within all of humanity... We are not only uncovering physical science or physical needs or materialistic ideas, but we're in essence partnering with God in the development of the world. This concept is something which God gave a gift to civilization. That we should A, feel accomplished when we discover something, but even more so that we should be able to feel as if we are a partner with God. Text number seven from Rabbi Jonathan Sachs says as follows. The concept of a conventional bond between God and man is revolutionary and has no parallel in any other system of thought. Only in Judaism do we encounter the proposition that despite the utter disparity, God and man can come together as partners in the work of creation. I know of no other vision that confers on mankind such high dignity and relationship. If you think about it, this concept of emphasizing the partnership and the imperative of making a difference in the world has been part of Jewish culture from the millennia, from the beginning. And if you think about the work ethic that Jewish people have, going all the way back when, even take a little example. There have been 900 Nobel Prizes since it started. 20% 
20% of the Nobel Prizes that were given in all different areas were given to Jewish people. Jewish people are only a 0.2 of the population. And we received 20% of all the Nobel Prizes. It's not only because they were smart, it's because they had a work ethic. There's a determination, there's a reason, there's a purpose. We want to partner with God in the creation of the world. We don't just sit back. There's a certain type of aggressiveness that we want to be able to help and change the world and do something in developing countries, do something for our people, do something for the people, whoever it may be, in every science, in every area, in every facet of life. Our purpose of the reason why we're discussing this is the concept of partnering God with the creation is to show that we don't just wait for something to come our way, we don't just wait for the, the fabric of the Jewish people is that we work. That we have to be effective in order to accomplish this mission. We have to have a passion to work. It's not just we show up to work because since we have to spend time in the office. It's like the person says, we wants to see his passion in works. So he says, of course, I don't mind coming to work. It's just an eight-hour wait until I go home. <laughs> it depends what people show up to work for. But there's a certain type of passion and as we talk about the gift of Shabbos brings us to the million dollar question which is if it's so important to have such a work ethic to develop the world and to partner with God in the creation why then are we taking a vacation? Why are we stopping for Shabbos? Maybe the Greeks and Romans were right and when you stop for 25 hours and you take a day of seven, day seven as a rest all of a sudden what happens? Aren't you meant to toil? Aren't you meant to work? Aren't you meant to, to partner with God in creation? Shouldn't we be developing the world? Why is this all coming to a screeching halt for 25 hours? If the whole reason, as God tells us, I made the world that you should make it, that you should work hard, and every single time we go to work and we discover something or we help somebody, we do something, we automatically are partnering with God in creation, why would we stop? Why should there be Shabbos? Because everybody needs a rest. But if it's In so order important... to be better, Recharge. on the other six days, we rest on the seventh day. Okay, so, yes? Because we're the image of God, God rested, so so do we. But maybe God was able to afford the rest because he left the job up to us. So I can't say thank you while I'm working? I say thank you the very fact that I have a job, that God, what's the biggest thank you? If you give somebody a gift, what's the biggest thank you that you can have with that gift? That they use it. Smile. That they use it. You don't want them to take the gift and re-gift them. You don't want to take the gift and put it on a shelf and never know about it. You want to make sure they use the gift. Shouldn't the biggest gift that we have, that God gave us the opportunity that we can be his partner? Isn't that most beautiful gift? Why stop? And if you say about that we need a rest, if God created that we should be his partner, that means we're able to do it seven days. If he wanted us to take a vacation, he would have told us, which he did. So let's find out. So let's take this a step further. I'm sure you heard of a fellow by the name of Stephen Covey. Anybody heard of him? Covey. He has a popular book. It's actually a great book. It's called The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. 
And he distinguishes, it's a great book, for those that want to read it, but uh, he's, he has, over there in his book, he talks about two different things. In general in life, we have something which is called things that are urgent and things that are important. And we struggle daily to be able to distinguish between the things that are urgent versus the things that are important. And in order to really utilize your time properly and most effectively, you need to prevent unimportant things becoming urgent. What does that mean? Just to use his words, the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. (laughs) Got that one? The main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. What is the difference between urgent versus important? Urgent is what we would call what I need to do out of necessity. I need to pay my bill. That's a necessity. Important means spending time with my family, let's say. So if you want to look, let's say, you know, instead of me telling you what they are, why don't you look at exercise 5.1? Why don't we write down a few things that are urgent and a few things that are important and see versus one towards the other? And we'll go through and we'll understand the difference between the two. Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by Stephen Covey. He's a bestseller. It's a New York Times. I don't think so. Covey is C-O-V-E-Y. He has a lot of these differences. They're urgent and important. Another one of them is effective. And, uh, huh, sorry? I, that I couldn't tell you. He didn't call me to do the funeral. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. So. You know, the lines can be blurred between the two. That's a very good thing, and that's why we're going to look at it. So when we look at his effective, you can see that effective work and satisfactory use of your time is not about occupying your time productively. Like he has another one, the difference between productive and efficient. Also, different scenarios. For example, if you cut the lawn, if you get a, if a lawn, uh, just to give you an example, if you have a crew that comes to cut the grass and they cut the grass efficiently, they did a beautiful job. But if they do the wrong house, they were, not, they were not effective. They were efficient, but they're not effective. You can cut the grass and take a day to do it. You were effective, but you were not efficient. And that's where you have to be able to have efficiency versus effectively. But, here's, but let's go back into our, our discussion today. When we look at the world, there are many different things that we have to do. And every single day, there are different tasks that you need to do. And there are tasks which you likely want to spend time on, and there are tasks that you just need to spend time on. And many times, most of your day, you are doing the urgent things instead of the important things. So for example, many of you wrote, I'm sure, or you would think, what's important? Name, something important. Sleep. Sleep. Sleep, I don't think is important. Sleep is urgent. It's a necessity. necessity. It's a necessity. Learning, spending time with your family, spending time with your spouse is important. Paying bills is a necessity. Going to work is a necessity. No snacks. 
You need to or else you don't have a roof over your head. You don't have money. You can't pay the bills. It's a necessity. Eating can be both. Yes, eating can be important, but it's more of a necessity. Many times we will be spending time on things that are urgent and, so to speak, leaving things that are important fall to the wayside. Why? Because the urgent needs to be done right now. I need to pay a pill. I need to make money. I need to have a roof over my head. I need to eat. I need to sleep. I need to do those things. So let's say take sleep, for example. Yeah. I need to, I need, it's important. I have a relative that I would like to see. But if I don't sleep, I'm not going to be able to drive to get there. It is important for me to spend time with my relative. It is urgent that I sleep. Because it's a necessity. If I would be able to do the important things without the urgency, I would be a happy man, right? But isn't learning also, but learning is also a necessity? No, important. Correct. A necessity, you know, but it's more important, well, of course, but everything is a necessity in bottom line. Everything can be called a necessity. Mm-hmm. You can call spending time with your family also a necessity if you want to have a relationship with your children. Um, but at the same time, we're talking about when we look at things which can be pushed off, the priorities and things that cannot be pushed off, or people that we think that we can push off things. Let's put it that way. So I'm sure when we talk about values, importance, and so on, so we talk about in our daily routine, there are three questions that we have to ask ourselves. And the questions that we have to find, because usually the urgent things are often not important, and the important things are often neglected. Why? Because I'm usually busy occupying myself with urgent things, so I don't have time to deal with the important things. And therefore, we have to ask ourselves three questions. Okay, so go back a second. Why are the urgent things unimportant? Why are the urgent things unimportant? Because I'm defining the difference between, let's say, paying a bill. Is that important? If I Huh? It's important, but it's more urgent than important. It's a little bit crossing, and the reason why we're using, I put in the word necessity by urgent, because important, we don't always see the necessity to it. Paying a bill is more of a necessity. Valuing your relationship is a necessity, but we don't always see the frontal necessity. It's not, in, it's not glaring. Well, something can be urgent for one person. Correct. Correct, correct. So for a person that their relationship is very frail, it may be more important for them to spend time with their spouse than pay the bill. Will you say that? Everybody, for everybody, there are certain things that are basic necessities that are important. I don't want to get caught up. This is just a point I want to make to the next no, thing. I still don't understand how something that's urgent can be unimportant because if it's urgent, then it should needs to be done. Unimportant. Okay, so unimportant in a value. Unimportant on its face value. I don't see an importancy in paying a bill. It's an urgency in paying a bill. Okay. Urgent? Huh? You think it's important to pay bills? Yeah. You want to have a roof over your head. You don't think it's urgent? No, I don't. I think reading is urgent. I think. No, that's uh, okay. Is it unimportant to 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 breathe? Is it unimportant to breathe? Breathing is not something you need to actively do. Huh? Matter. We breathe. It's not, you don't need to go You're someplace to breathe. Dead. I'm saying you don't need to go someplace <laughs> to breathe. You don't have to do something to breathe. We're talking about spending your time. And where I have a question of, I don't have to spend time to breathe. I don't have to dedicate five days in the week or an hour a day to breathe. 
I don't have to, where we talk about effectively using my time. Okay? As opposed to breathing, which is just for us right now. Correct. Automatic. Correct. But when it's not automatic. Then, of course, it's a different story. Then I need, we're talking about effectively using my time. I have a certain amount of time in the day. I have a 12 hours, 14 hours, 16 hours of my day. I need to make sure that my day is utilized properly. To use my time effectively. Okay, let's go, let's, let's rewind a moment. Our point is that we have over here, I have a day, every single day, I'm faced with different challenges that I have to accomplish. And the tasks that I have in my day that I need to accomplish, okay? So I just want to make it clear, maybe I wasn't clear. In my tasks, I have tasks that are urgent and tasks that are important. Those tasks that are urgent, what makes them urgent versus important Sometimes the urgent is not important, and many times the urgent is not important, often, highlight, often, unimportant. And most of the times, the tasks that are important are often neglected. Okay? Which leads us to some very important questions. And the three poor important questions are, number one, are we spending our lives on things that seem urgent, but not that we deem important? Number two, who are we? What is it that we really want? And number three, and this is, goes back to everybody's question to say the line is blurred, do we have clarity to know what is truly important to us? In order for us to make a clear definition, to know what is important and what is urgent, we need to, number one, ask ourselves, how am I spending my day? What am I doing with my day? Am I spending my day paying bills, chasing my tail, and everything becomes urgent? Or am I spending my day with important matters? Or a little bit of both? Now, when I come to what's important, how do I decide what's important? I remember once seeing a sign in somebody's office. It said, lack of preparation on your part doesn't create an urgency on my part. <laughs> so, <laughs> I thought that was a great line, but that's, the great thing is same here as here. What is important? You know, these people come rushing over to you. A person calls you up and says, it's important. What's important? Who makes it important? Who decides it's important? What's important to you may not be important to me. What's important to somebody else may not be important to them. One of the beautiful things about a person who is sensitive and to other people's behaviors is that they find, even though it may not be important to you, you still find it important because out of the love for the other person. But the bottom line is, here's these three important questions. Number one, are we spending our time on things that seem urgent but not important? Number two, who are we and what is it really that we want? And number three, how do we know what's really important? And here's where Shabbos comes in. Shabbos is a day of rest. Jewish law outlines 39 cardinal laws that we're not allowed to do on Shabbat. Forms of labor. On a very basic level, Shabbos is a day of rest for the body. Even food preparation is prohibited on Shabbos. Everything has to be done on Shabbos. When Shabbos comes, everything goes to a screeching halt. Travel is limited. But there's more to Shabbos than just not showing up to the office. And if we look at the following exercise, you will see in exercise 5.2, is the two places where the Ten Commandments are mentioned in the Torah. In the book of Exodus and in the book of Deuteronomy. And I want you to read the two boxes 
and find the differences between the book of Exodus and the book of Deuteronomy when the two times that the Torah mentions the laws pertaining to Shabbos. So if you look in exercise 5.2, you'll see on one column you have how it's described in the book of Exodus, the book of Shemos, and in one column how it's described in the book of Deuteronomy. Apart from the minor differences, there's two glaring differences. Sorry? Besides remembering and keeping, okay, but even so, why do we keep the Shabbos? Look in the book of Exodus and look in the book of Deuteronomy. In the book of Exodus it's described, why should you keep the Shabbos? Because I am God who created the heaven and earth. In the book of Deuteronomy, why are we keeping the Shabbos? Because I took you out of Egypt. You see that? You following me? The book of Exodus is on the left column. Remember the Shabbos and look at the last line, the last paragraph. Because the six days God made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that's in it. The book of Deuteronomy, you shall remember the Shabbos that you were a slave in the land of Egypt and that God took you out of there, Egypt. Why the difference? What is God telling us over here? What are these two differences? And over here the difference is as follows. The passage in Deuteronomy connects it with the Exodus, while the passage I'm, I'm sorry, yeah, with the Exodus of Egypt, while the passage in Shemoth connects it with the creation. Over here, what God is telling us is two things. There's two parts to why we keep Shabbos. We keep Shabbos, number one, because God is reminding us that He is the Creator. We are creations. And the way we connect that bond, that gift that was given to the Jewish people, is the Shabbos. A time that we can meditate, contemplate, and think about the purpose of why God created me. What am I here for? What was the purpose of creation? Why did God put us in this world? What purpose do I have? I have to ask myself, what is important? Why am I here? For what purpose was I put in this world? Then I come to the book of Deuteronomy where Moses reviews with the Jewish people about the the Ten Commandments that they were given. And he says, yes, not only do I have to remember that the Creator created me as a creation with a reason and a purpose of putting me in this world, but also God went beyond nature and extracted us from the land of Egypt for what reason? We as Jews, as opposed to everybody else. The first time the Torah tells us the Ten Commandments keep the Shabbos, There's no uniqueness about the Jewish people. A creation of the world. We have to look at the world as whole, as creations. But then when we come to the book of Deuteronomy, where God tells us about the Jewish people, God's continuous. Can I ask you a question? Yes. So, God, if I understand it, He gave the Torah to the Jewish people after He freed them from Egypt, right? Correct. Why did He choose them? Good question. So, why did he choose them? Is the reason, and if, if you recall, when you're called to the Torah, we say a special blessing. We say, Asher bochar bonu mikola amin, that you chose us from all the nations. When do you have free choice? If there's a value to something versus a value to something else, if I show you a piece of gold, 
versus a, versus a piece of glass, you don't really have free choice to what to choose. The gold is, of course, more valuable. When we, the Jewish people, and I'm not going to go into the whole, uh, we actually next week we're going to talk about more about this, but the concept of the Jewish people being chosen while they were in Egypt is because at the time the Jewish people were in Egypt, technically we were on par with the Egyptians. We were idolaters, they were idolaters. God told Abraham that as the Jewish people, he's going to be his nation, and he chose us not because of our value, because God wanted to. And when God chose us, God made us the chosen nation, what happened when he gave us the Torah? And because he chose us, that's why we have the commandments, we have the Torah, we have this gift of Shabbos. Yes? I thought that God wanted to tell all the other nations and ask them first, and they said no. But he already chose us beforehand. But when it came to giving of the Torah, I don't want to go into this whole, it's a whole separate subject, but just to answer you quickly, God, before he gave the Jewish people the Torah, he offered the other nations of the world the Torah, so they shouldn't have complaints that they never got the offer. But it didn't make them the chosen nation. The chosen nation was because he decided the Jewish people are going to be the chosen nation is going to give them the Torah, regardless. So it was since the time of Avram that he chose us. He chose Avram and he said, your people will be, but he never chose the Jewish people as a nation until Egypt. So though he chose Abram as an individual, the Jewish nation, though there was Abram, Isaac, Jacob, and the ancestors of Abraham, they eventually became the Jewish people. But the whole interesting debate, if they were considered Jews before they were chosen as Jews, which takes us into a whole different story. But let's not get sidetracked. So what we have over here is, the difference what we see is, in addition to the miraculous things that we have, what God is telling us over here is, <coughs> what we talk about the Shabbos, and when we celebrate Shabbos, Shabbos is here for two reasons. Number one, I have to ask myself, what is my purpose in creation? Number two is what is my role? There's two two points here. And that's why the Ten Commandments in both places, in the book of Exodus and the book of Deuteronomy, are asking me, God created the universe, so therefore what purpose was I created for? What's important in my life? Shabbos gives me that opportunity that I have to be able to think about these questions and say, what is my role as a Jew in this world? Because God extracted the Jewish people from Egypt, specifically, as opposed to the rest of the world, and gave us the gift of Shabbos. What does that mean to me? Interestingly enough, it's not just lip service or a theory. We say this every single week. When we make the blessing on the wine, as we know, we sanctify the Shabbos when we make the blessing of the Kiddush on the wine, and what do we say? And you see that text number 8. Blessed are you who sanctified us with his commandments, desired us, he has given us in his love and his goodwill, the Holy Shabbos as an inheritance and remembrance of his work of creation, it is the first day of the holy festivals commemorating the exodus from Egypt. What are we saying here? What are the words telling us here? Which means, in remembrance, why am I observing the Shabbat? In remembrance of the work of the creation. Again, and then he continues at the end of it, Zecher Litzias Mitzrayim, commemorating the exodus of Egypt. So both times the Ten Commandments are mentioned, 
The reason for the Ten Commandments, the reason for the Shabbat are mentioned in the blessing that we say in the Kiddush. So although we rest on Shabbos in a physical sense, from toil, from labor, from the 39 cardinal ways, uh, laws pertaining to labor, but what does Shabbos tell us to do? If we look at the blessing of Shabbos, realign yourself. Huh? Sanctify Not only sanctify, but realign your purpose of what you're here for. Ask yourself, what am I here? Focus on the purpose of creation and as the role of a Jew. Divine providence, Jewish identity, Jewish continuity. Shabbos encourages us to spend time on fundamental ideas. So while throughout the week, throughout the week, we spend time and we're busy with urgent matters, very important. God wants us to be a partner with creation, toil, work, heart, all these wonderful things. It's urgent. It's a necessity because we need to develop the world with God and partner with God in the creation of the world. Shabbos we spend on time what's important. While the rest of the week we focus on what we do, on Shabbat we focus on who we are. And that is the difference between the weekday versus the Shabbos. Weekday we're preoccupied with what we do, urgent matters indeed, and Shabbos we focus on who we are, very important. And here is the difference between urgency and important. It is urgent that we develop the world with God. And God gave us that mission to do. But one time a week we stop and focus what's unimportant. They say a story about two strong men who had a challenge. They said they went into the forest. Who can chop down more trees in a day's work? And each one of them were chopping down trees, chopping and chopping and chopping. And in the middle of the day, one of them decided he's going to take a break. Go for lunch. The other fellow sees the other guy went for lunch. He says, oh, here's my opportunity. And he goes and he's knocking and knocking and knocking and knocking. Comes the end of the day, the guy that took the break won the contest. He says, I don't understand. How do you cut down trees when you went to lazy around and take a break, a lunch break? The other fellow looks at him and says, you think I took a lunch break? I went to sharpen my axe. Mm-hmm. The difference is, this is what Shabbos is all about. Shabbos is sharpening our axe. Shabbos is telling us this is a time when we take time to focus on who we are so that we are able to do better the job during the week. When we focus on who we are, sometimes, you know, many times in an office and we get to it, you, if you don't know your position in the, in the workforce, you never get your job done. You're always running in circles. Why? Because there's no definition of what your job is. So you're going over here, you're doing this. You're going over here, you're doing this. And then all of a sudden, the boss comes, he says, how come you didn't do it? I said, since when was I supposed to do it? Right? Mm-hmm. Why? Because there's no job description. Mm-hmm. That's why every person needs a job description, what your job is, where you're focused, and they'll be able to be effective. Mm-hmm. Sometimes people think, I'm all over, I'm everything. That's why they call him a jack-of-all-trades, an expert at none, because he get nothing done, because he's busy doing everything. Everywhere is nowhere, or all the other things. Rabbi, yes? And Shabbos is necessity. Is important. No, is necessity. Is important. Not just important. It's a necessary thing. Of course. Now, an important, now one second. Necessity. An important thing is also necessary. 
necessary, but can be neglected. I have to pay my bills. I can also neglect to pay my bills and then I'll be evicted. So everything in life is a necessity to a certain extent. So when we talk about so when we talk about Shabbos, Shabbos is the opportunity for important inward relationship. Shabbos is a time to strengthen even more so what Shabbos is. And if you look at the, especially the customs of Shabbos, you will notice that Shabbos is most important to strengthen the family unit. Many people will tell you that their family is the most important thing in their life. However, at the same exact time, in the same breath, you will ask them how much time they spend with their family. It will be very minimal to amount to do that they do everything else. So going back to the terminology that we were using before, that though they, though they find it and say it's important to spend time with their family, they tend to push off what's important for what is urgent, completing deadlines at work, and whatever it may be. Shabbos teaches us and enables us to focus on what's important, rather than what's urgent. There's nothing wrong with tackling what's urgent. I'm making it sound like it's something wrong with paying your bills, God forbid. We need to do that all week, and we spend time six days a week doing it. But Shabbos allows us to redirect those things and focus what's on family. Spending quality time with family. For example, do you know why we light Shabbat candles? Shabbat candles, the purpose for lighting Shabbos candles, the reason why we light Shabbos candles, are for shalom bayit, for bringing peace in the home. That's the reason why we light Shabbat candles. The reason why, that's why, in fact, an interesting thing, just to go off on a side tangent, as we usually like to do, if somebody has only um, enough money to buy either Hanukkah candles or Shabbos candles, which one should they buy? Shabbos candles. Why Shabbos candles? Because Shalom bayis, peace in the home, is more important than lighting up the outside. Charity starts at home. You've got to take care. So the Shabbos meals are all about making the family together. The bottom line is that in the end of the day, relationships are very complex. Parents, any parent that has a teenager will attest to the fact what it means, relationships, value, and even getting to talk to your teenagers. Shabbos is the time where we have the ability to listen to one another without any distractions, to enjoy the joys with one another, have family time together, dine together without any interruptions, no pressures, no stress from the office, no customer complaints. You can't even worry about if the food's burning or not, whatever it is it is. There's no distractions, there's no deadlines. You just sit down, relax, and enjoy. Shabbos is a time where we can share and discuss our values with one another. And that's why Shabbos is so important. Text number nine, this is a little bit long. It's a letter from the Rebbe, it's a talk from the Rebbe where he talks about the critical value of Shabbos. A critical component of any nation exists, especially in the existence of the Jewish nation. This is page 151. But one that has unfortunately been neglected, which is the preservation of the family unit. The importance of family is illustrated by the method in which God counted the Jewish nation. 
In addition to the census of an entire nation, the Torah emphasizes for each tribe that its members were counted according to their families, meaning they were counted as family units. Practically speaking, many of the difficulties that arise between parents and children, even when children are provided a proper education, have been caused by the underemphasis of the importance of the family as a unit. In a cohesive family, each individual attains more significance as a member of the family unit than he or she had on their own. One way to address this issue, which is an important practice in any case, is for a family to spend Shabbat together. There are many factors that can undermine family unity, since, naturally, the father, mother, son, and daughter are each occupied in different matters. We must therefore endeavor that, starting from Friday evening and certainly on Friday night when Shabbat meal is held, the entire family, father, mother, sons, and daughters, should gather in the same room at the same table and converse, understandably, on topics that are appropriate for Shabbos. On Shabbat, when weekday affairs so conducive, so conducive to the separation and the score are absent, it is easier for the family members to fuse together as a single entity, and when the family unit is healthy, the family will be healthy, and throughout, also throughout the week. The unifying factors present on Shabbos, and particularly during the meal, will prevail over all other differences, thereby ensuring that each of their individual paths complete and complement the paths of the others. And the Rebbe concludes, nothing happens on its own, especially considering that for numerous years the significance of the family unit has been habitually overlooked. But it is time to acknowledge that this area that requires focus, energy, and repeated effort, as the Torah promises, if you make effort, you will succeed. Yes, it's difficult. It's not, our, it's not easy when everybody's running in all different directions all week. But that's why we have Shabbos. Everything comes to a stop. Everything is put away. It requires focus, energy. But the Torah promises us if we make an effort, we will succeed. Keeping the family together is a labor of love. And the numbers are in. The emphasis that Jewish traditions places on family is clearly seen in the results. Jews have been singled out as the quintessential examples of tight-knit families. Go back to the millennia, thousands of years. Jewish people have always stuck together. Family was family and that's it. And why was it? Duly credited to the Shabbos because it was one time a week that no matter what, everybody was together. And families that are come together, you can have families that they give the children the best education and they're not talking to each other. Why? Because the only time they meet is from Thanksgiving to Thanksgiving when they get into a fight from one Thanksgiving to the next. That's all. But if they would have every single weekend when you join, as the Rebbe uses the terminology, as a cohesive unit, everybody and wherever they are becomes together as one, complementing each other, you complete the family unit. You're able to take that time and have that time that beautifully works for the family Spending time together. Yes, you go to any therapist, they'll tell you have a family dinner together, helps the family. But imagine an entire weekend. You can't be distracted. You're not answering your phone, as we're going to get to in a moment. The hard stop that Shabbos puts on all type of work, the very fact that Shabbos doesn't allow you to deal with the physical material, so to speak, gives us the ability that we can focus our time on spirituality. Studying Torah, God's wisdom, 
So not only focus on the family unit, but also focus on the spirituality of it. The words of the Medrash are text number 10a. It is taught in the Medrash, the Torah said to God, when the Jewish people enter the land of Israel and run to their vineyards and fields, what will become of me? The Torah complained. God replied, I have a match that I compare you with its name and Shamas. On this day you will not work and you'll be able to engage with you. What is the Torah telling us? What is the Medrash saying? Yes, a whole week we're so busy and doing things. But when it comes to Shabbos, it all stops. And then we can take our time and indulge in prayer and in Torah study. As it says in text number 10b from the Tanya, as it is known to those initiates in the mystical wisdom of the Kabbalah, in every mitzvah there's an internal and an external aspect. The external aspect of Shabbos is the cessation of physical activity. Just as God sees making the physical heaven and earth the internal dimension of Shabbos, is one's intentions of Shabbat prayers during one's Torah study to cleave to one God, as it is written, it is Shabbos to God, your God. During the week, our soul is immersed in doing many the multitude of things. However, when it comes to Shabbos, all of a sudden the soul is uplifted. The soul feels beautiful, and that's why after Shabbos, the soul needs to take a little bit of some spices by the Havdalah, is because all of a sudden the soul is going to go back to the physical, go back to the material. Because on Shabbos it's emphasized. As we see in text number 11, we say it in the Amidah of Shabbos, a day of rest and holiness. Shabbos is not just a day of rest, but it's a day of holiness. It's not a day of idle time which we sit around and do nothing, but it's an opportunity to partner with God, just like the rest of the week, you partner with God on a physical way in developing the world and working hard. On Shabbos you partner with God by studying and indulging in holiness and prayer and doing things that are important, not necessarily urgent. So just a few quick reviews. What we have, the major focuses that we have to do on Shabbos is number one, we think about our Creator. Number two, we contemplate the purpose of what I am as a Jew. Number three, quality family time that we can spend together as a family unit. And number four, devoting time to study Torah, prayer, and similar spiritual pursuits. The gift of Shabbos has been enjoyed by the Jewish people now for over 3,500 years. And you know what? You know who realized the gift, this uniqueness that Shabbos has more than anybody else? The enemies of the Jews. The enemies of the Jews are the ones to realize how beautiful Shabbos is. Proof is, starting from the Greeks, time in the Hanukkah story, what was the first thing they told the Jews they can't do? Observe Shabbos. Going all the way back just a short 30, 40 years ago during communist era. You know what the first thing the communists did to the Jews in Russia? <coughs> Not make them work on Shabbos. And the Jews had to maneuver all different kinds of ways to be able to not work on Shabbos. The ones who recognize that the secret to Jewish continuity and Jewish families are the enemies of the Jews. And that's why at every, t- at every time in history, they try to stop us from observing the Shabbos. And we, the Jewish people, made the greatest effort to remember, to guard, through thick and thin, this precious gift that God gave us. So we can be here today to tell the tale. But eventually, the world stopped laughing at our day of rest. And early Christianity already proposed a day of rest. So at first what happens is, 
as in everything else. They make fun of us about it, right? Jews have been keeping Shabbos for 35 years, many times been difficult by our oppressors. But then Christianity, which began at the first century as a breakaway from Judaism, maintained the idea of a seven-day week, but they made Sunday as their day of prayer. In fact, according to some, it was initially Saturday, and the reason why they changed it to Sunday is well because they didn't want to look like Jews. Islam then, later on, was fa- in the 7th century, did the same thing at a seven-day week, and they made Friday a day of prayer, right? In fact, in Islam, however, it's not a day of rest completely. They only rest until their afternoon prayers, and then afterwards they go back to work. The concept of Shabbos even became finally more entrenched in society with something called Sunday laws. We'll get to the blue laws in a minute. That mimicked the laws of Shabbos the rest of the week, and that was a decree of the 4th century. How that came about was the Roman emperor named Constantine. I'm sure you heard of him. And he made an edict, he made a law that magistrates and the people residing in the cities rest every Sunday and let all workshops be closed. The centuries that followed such laws prevailed, though not in a religious context, but in the context of the civilized world saying, in a secular way, not doing business on Sunday became less about religion, but more of everybody wants a day off. In fact, just an interesting tidbit, uh, who, were the, who was the first person to challenge the laws and saying that it's based on religion and therefore they shouldn't have Sunday off? Anybody? Very good. Not only Jews, but religious Jews. In 1961, it, was challenged, it came before the U.S. Supreme Court, they lost, I think, to say that Sunday laws were considered, uh, it should be illegal because it's based on religious values. The reason why religious Jews protested was because they couldn't have Friday afternoon, Shabbos, and Sunday, there was two and a half days that they were losing from the work week, and therefore they wanted to have Sunday to work. Mm-hmm. But they were the first ones to challenge it. just an interesting thing. I really remember that. What? Okay, that's cool. And the way, so then the rest of the world came to embrace a seven, um, so in the way the Jewish people have <clears throat> the day of Shabbos, they didn't embrace it of a day of rest and holiness, but the concept of a day off they did have. Incidentally, today most of the Western world already observes a two-day weekend, a two-day weekend which thankfully includes Saturday a day, day off, which this happens to also be partly and clearly because of Jewish influence. How is that? Because what happened was when the Jewish immigrants arrived in the United States, they faced extraordinary challenges of not working on Shabbos. In fact, I heard stories from people, their grandparents, not so long ago in the early 1900s, which every single week they had to find a new job. There was even, I don't know if you remember here, there was a doctor, his name was Dr. Rodbart, his father was a dentist. He told his son to go to shul, but he had to go to work on Shabbos. Even though he was technically a Shabbos observant Jew, but he had no choice or else he would lose his job if he went. He was a dentist. And many people like that in the same way. I was just going to say, oh. if my family, one of the things that we heard was you had to have your own business Correct. so that you can close on Shabbat. But if you go down to the east side, there was such a fight that they had, they, it was a six-day work week and... If, the but that was the problem. They did not allow them initially to be open on right, Sunday. Saying, Correct. In New York, in the, in the um, I want to say in the 1920s. Yeah, yeah. 
So there was a very common that a religious Jew would have to go find a new job every single week. It wasn't something that was uncommon um, if they wanted to keep Shabbos. Monday through Saturday was the Jewish workers begged their employers, and the law in many states prohibited, in many states, until today there are certain states that prohibited working, and I think today in almost all states, you're not allowed to sell in some states, until 2018... No, liquor is now only yeah, a half a day 12 after 12 o'clock, but a certain state, you're not allowed to sell you cars. You have to wake up 6 o'clock. You're not allowed to sell cards on Sundays. Why? I don't know. Until 2018, till today, there are still certain laws that are called Sunday laws. Somebody mentioned before the blue laws. Do you know why it's called the blue laws? No. Just to, to see if anybody knows history. No. Huh? Can't hear you. No. They comes, there was a fellow, his name was Samuel A. Peters. And this fellow um, made a list of the Shabbos regulations in New Haven. He wanted to stiff off the Shabbos regulations in New Haven, Connecticut. And it was printed on blue paper. That's why it was called the Blue Laws. Another reason why it was called the Blue Laws was because the, um, it came from the 18th century usage of the word blue, which means rigidly moral. That's what, that's what Wikipedia, uh, Britannic, Encyclopedia Britannica said. Moral, moral, moral. 18th century word blue means rigidly moral. That was another reason why it was called the blue laws. But that was just a, but it commonly was more known as Sunday laws. And it was even prohibited from operating any type of business. It was very difficult for Jewish people at the time. And therefore, Sunday was not a viable option to say, I'm not going to work on Saturday, but I'll work on Sunday for you. That didn't work. So to observe Shabbos in the New World became very extreme and a painful sacrifice. I heard a story about a fellow that he came from the old country. It was in 1912, 1913. And he came here. He had to escape from Russia and end it. saved him and his family's life. But when he came, all of a sudden he saw... His uncle came to pick him up, he was originally, and he didn't have a beard. He says, what Jews in America don't have beards? He says, yeah, that's what you got to do. Then it came Shabbos. He says, what Jews in America don't go to work? He says, this is what you got to do if you want to make money. So he was thinking, no, I got to assimilate as well. And his father came to him in a dream and his, he told him, these are the two things you have to put your life for. And that's eventually he was able to survive. And he went through three years of every single week finding another job until finally was able to get something. Look in text number 12, an interesting, numerous jobs by clothing trade, cigar trade, and even on farms peddling, working Jewish Sabbath conditions of employment with a six-day work week, commonplace and Sunday closing laws strictly enforced, unsympathetic employers decreed if you don't come in on Saturday, don't bother coming back on Monday. A heart, look at this, even to this, a heart-rendering Yiddish prayer written in America for women recited privately as they lit their Shabbat candles and printed in a widely distributed woman's prayer book. Speaking in the first person to God, prayer laments the diaspora land where the burden of making a living is so great, resting on Shabbat and holidays has become impossible. And it pleads for divine compassion for a bountiful living all Jewish children and treats they should not have to desecrate your holy day. People, that's how terrible it was at the time. Another interesting thing was, in 1908, there was a factory that did something drastic. In New England, not, not yet about the triangle, we'll get to that in a moment. They did something in order to accommodate their Jewish employees. Text number 13. In 1908, a New England mill became the first American factory to institute a five-day week. It did so to accommodate Jewish workers whose observance of the Shabbos forced them to make up their work. On Sundays, offending some of the Christian majority, the mill granted Jewish workers a two-day weekend 
and other factories followed examples. But to find such a job was few and far in between, and most people who arrived in the Western world had a problem finding a job. Just because you mentioned that triangular story, the, and everybody I'm sure heard about the triangular factory was the largest fire that happened. Do you know what day the fire happened? No. What day of the week was it? It was on a Saturday. It was on a Saturday of March 25, 1911. It was the deadliest industrial disaster in the history of the city, one of the deadliest in U.S. history. The story is told about a woman by the name of Ruth Teich. She was a newly arrived immigrant, and she was supposed to go to work on the first day, March 25th, with, together with her relatives in that building. She didn't want to disappoint them, so she went out of the house and she hid away a whole day and did not go to the factory. When she came home that night, mm-hmm. they thought she was a ghost because everybody in the fam- factory did. died. She thought they, she died, mm-hmm. and she was saved because she did not go to work on Shabbat. Many Jewish people were saved from that fire who didn't go to work on Shabbat in that factory. I don't know. Was, a lot of them were Jewish because they were immigrants and they were slave drove them. They blocked the doors. They didn't let them. They blocked the, the way they treated them was another whole thing. But that was besides the point. But that was the only place where they were able to get jobs. But people who risked their lives and didn't go to work on Shabbos were saved from that. But how do you think it all eventually ended? A match made in heaven. A very weird match. A match between the workers, the workers' union. There was a, first of all, there was a Jewish group devoted to fostering Shabbos led by a rabbi by the name of Bernard Bernard Drachman. This rabbi, Bernard Drachman, had an interesting colorful past as well. He actually started off as a reform rabbi of Temple Jeshua in New York City. He then decided to go to... um, to go to Europe to see the European Jews there, and because that became impressed with the true sentiment of Judaism in European Jewry, and became fully Orthodox a re- a religious rabbi when he came back, he was one of the biggest champions for Shabbos observance. He negotiated together with the labor unions, which Jews at that time were very heavily represented, and New York Ladies Garment Workers Union and the Algamated <coughs> Clothing Workers, they advocated for a 40-hour, five-day work week with the concept saying that but now with the industrial machines and everything else, if we don't have a shortened week, we're not going to have enough people to do the workforce. People are going to go obsolete. A lot of people are going to lose their jobs. And therefore, we have to shorten the work week. Finally, in 1938... Franklin Roosevelt, the president, signed something called the Fair Labor Standards, which established a five-day, 40-hour work week, which brought relief automatically for all Jews that needed, that no longer had to work on Shabbos. In, America, in New York, it's even better. There's New York labor laws where they're not allowed to fire a person on the grounds of not observing, for not showing up to work on Shabbos. There's racial discrimination, and today with all the other things. Over the succeeding decades, starting from the 1938, once that was in law, that's five-day work weeks with 40-hour work weeks in America, that eventually went to Australia, from Australia went to Canada, and by 1970s, it was only adapted in Europe. So the concept of the five-day work week that we know today, with the 40 hours, 40 hours a week and so on, this was something which dramatically happened because of Jewish influence in trying to create Saturday, a day 
that Jewish people shouldn't have to go to work. So we see clearly in the earliest 20th century, things dramatically <coughs> eased for the Jewish people to observe Shabbat. And Jews in America were then less impacted by their style of the modern civilization. But over here we reach a critical difference between this gift that given to the world, so to speak, like we mentioned before. The idea of Shabbos that has influenced throughout history was not that God, not that we're giving the Jewish, not that non-Jews have to observe Shabbat. In fact, nowhere in the Torah does it say that non-Jews have to observe Shabbat. In fact, we find the opposite: a non-Jew is not allowed to observe Shabbat. It's not even in the Noahide laws that they have to find day, take a day of rest. What we are saying here is here that the benefits that Jews derived from observing Shabbos, the world at large understood and realized that it's important. The concept that the message that Shabbos gives, the message of disconnecting from the world around you, taking a day break, realizing you don't have to work your the whole day is not about doing urgent, 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 taking a moment to reflect on what's important, that is important to see that all humanity can learn something from it. All of humanity was born to toil. Every person has the ability to positively affect this world. And thus, every person has the responsibility to positively affect the world. But in order to live your life effectively, you need to have clarity who you are, Jew and non-Jew alike. Why did God create you? What is your purpose? And what do you truly find important in this world? I'm not going to tell you what you find important because I, what I find important, you may not find important. But if you find something important, you need to make sure that you make time for that thing that is important to you. There is no such reason or excuse for us to say, and this is what the message of Shabbos teaches us, is that there's something there's nothing in this world that one should be able to say, I don't have time to make something that's important. Shabbos says, stop what you're doing, that if you want to truly be effective in doing your task as a human being in this world and properly adjudicating your responsibility, you need to take time to focus what's important. How do we do that? And here, going back on Shabbos, using the gift of Shabbos, we can find now the universal message that Shabbos has. Number one, to contemplate purpose. God has given us the ability. God to recognize and acknowledge that there's a creator in the universe. The same way Shabbos is given to the Jewish people that we know that God created the world, so too every single one of us, Jew and non-Jew alike, has an obligation to recognize that God is the creator of the universe and put us here for a reason. The Rebbe encouraged that even in public schools, that every single day they should start with a moment of silence to think about the creator of the universe. A universal message. And schools have seen a dramatic decline in inappropriate behavior or in violence when this type of behavior is incorporated. In fact, the state of Florida just made it law just a few weeks ago that their schools should start with a moment of silence. New York City schools, I knew a school teacher in the New York City school I'm talking about in the dumps of the dumps where he had to come and he had to hold down, he had to sometimes uh, barricade himself to protect himself. But he began his class. He was 35 years. He was a school teacher. And when the Rebbe came out with this campaign, he started his class and he had a picture on the wall. He had a picture on the wall of an eye, an ear, and a, uh, eye, an ear and, a, and a mouth. 
telling them there's an eye that sees, an ear that hears, and a mouth that says everything that's going on. That's what that... No, there was no, uh, there was no problem of uh, church and state because it was right. universal, didn't say the word God. Right. is a concept of understanding, a moment of silence where a person can think about there's a creator of the universe. And that automatically when a child or a person, and this is for Jew and non-Jew alike, when a human being wakes up in the morning and says, you know, I'm here for a purpose, automatically their day is different. Number two, spend quality time with the family. Spending time with your family consistently helps good marriages, good relationships, family, parental relationships, anything what it may be. It's not just a dinner time or meeting once a week or once a, once a year. The very fact that Shabbos reminds us and encourages us that you put a stop, you close everything down, and you spend time with your family helps develop relationships. Number two, number three, communicate your values to your children. What does Shabbos tell us? Values that God has taken us out of Egypt. That was for the Jewish people. But for the world at large, sit down, have time during the day or a day where you talk. To your children, what do you find important? What should they find important? Why should they find things important? Have a dialogue, have a communication. Shabbos tells us that message for the world. And number three, number four, sorry, most importantly, is using our time wisely. We don't have many days off. We are busy people. Every person's got to make a living. Every person works hard. And there are many different urgent things that come up in the world. The question is only how I will spend my time. How am I going to make sure that I use my time productively, that I'm able to accomplish all these things? So therefore, if I focus as a, on activities that bring goodness and kindness to others, and sharing these values, whether for Jews it's the values of the Torah, for non-Jews the seven Noahide laws, regardless of what it means, automatically you will see we ha- in a restful environment, not in a rush, not in the classroom, but in a more relaxed, beautiful way, we come to enjoy, appreciate each other, appreciate each other's opinions, and we're able to cultivate relationships. This is the universal gift that God gave us. One of the people who have made an impact on the world and shown the gift of Shabbos, unfortunately lost his life by doing it, was an Israeli astronaut, Ilan Ramon, when he went up to space. And here's a short video about that.
But for a man with Elon's ambition, even the sky is not the limit. Finally, I want to announce that an Israeli astronaut Hello, my name is Ilan Ramon and uh, I'm honored and privileged to be on this flight with this wonderful team. For Ilan, for Israel, for Holocaust survivors and for Jews worldwide, the symbolism was enormous. This ancient, miraculous people had once again risen from the ashes to not only survive, but thrive. Ilan felt compelled to represent all Jews by representing Judaism itself, and he did so by choosing to observe Shabbat. And it was quite exciting to meet Ilan. I felt this immediate attachment because he went straight over to me and gave me a big hug. Rabbi Steve Konikov is director of Chabad of the Space and Treasure Coasts and met Elon while he was in training at Kennedy Space Center. He said to me that he he really wants to keep and mark Shabbat in the shuttle, and he wanted me to tell him when would be Shabbat for the three weeks that he would be in space. What exact time? When would he keep the Shabbat? His question was, if every 90 minutes is another sunset, so basically another day, and every 10 and a half hours is technically Shabbat, and really, Every 20 days is Rosh Hashanah, if you get where I'm going. Uh, I sent letters to Rabbonim, uh, chief rabbis throughout the world. They said that he should set his watch in accordance with the local Cape Canaveral time. And that's how he should keep Shabbat. In addition to observing Shabbat, Elon would also take a Torah that survived the German concentration camps into space. After months of training and a lengthy delay, Elon and his six fellow crew members launched aboard Space Shuttle Columbia.
But Elijah taught us a powerful message. No matter how fast we're going, no matter how important our work, we need to pause and think about why we're here on earth. Truthfully, when you think about it, it, it really is the, the legacy of Elijah. What he taught us about about Shabbat. Miraculously, defying rational explanation, fragile pages of Ramon's personal onboard diary survived. Despite the extreme heat of the explosion, the extreme atmospheric cold at 37 miles above the earth, and weeks of rain, mud, and insects on the ground, Elon's words remained readable. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy, he wrote. A handwritten copy of the Friday night Kiddush prayer was Elon's final message to the world. We see, <clears throat> which brings us another quick point that the world can learn a universal message from Shabbat is a concept of unplugging. We know that in the uh, Jewish observances of Shabbos, we need to unplug from our daily activities. We don't use our phones, our computers. I always tell people, you can reach me 24 7. But one, actually, you can reach me 24-7. Just one day a week, you have to come see me in person. Because we don't answer our phones, we don't use our computers, we don't use the cars, we don't use anything electronic over Shabbos, which gives us more productivity. While we know that phones, social media, computers can help us, but we also know they're very debilitating, very addictive, and they cause us to just be distracted with things that are urgent while we're busy with things that are important. While we may be in a beautiful time with our family and all of a sudden an urgent call comes in, or whatever it is, or an urgent text message and we need to answer it and so on. So what another one of those universal messages that, God, that Shabbos can give us is, number one, is to unplug. When you unplug from your social media for a period of time, it gives you a new sense of control. I don't have to answer every message. I don't have to look how many likes I got. I don't have to get back. I am not a slave to the people around me. I'm an independent person, and I can focus on what I feel is important to the people that I feel important to. It's a good detox from technology as well. And I'm not the only one that says this. Even the people that made social media agree with me. Text number 14. Randy Zuckerberg, an entrepreneur, radio host, and sister to Facebook co-founder Mark Zuckerberg, discussed and encouraged unplugging from electronic devices on Shabbat. While at a one-on-one forum in New York this past June, Zuckerberg, who currently has over 1.75 million follower, Facebook followers, worked at the social media giant until 2011 when she founded Zuckerberg Media, a social media firm, Though she works in digital media, she still advocates taking regular breaks and unplugging. Addressing the forum, Zuckerberg discussed the concept of unplugging from the perpetual connection to one's telephone. She said, I find that it's important in my own life, any big entrepreneur, any CEO you talk to, they're not coming up with world-changing ideas by being constantly plugged in and constantly on text message. 
distracted getting emails you can only come up with those amazing word changing ideas by giving yourself a time and space distraction free to be creative ask any person when they came up with the most creative things when they're in the shower when they're dreaming why not when they're busy think of everything else they have time to think about being creative i talk about unplugging a lot and people are like wow that is such a new concept so exciting and i'm like well it's not actually new this is a multi-thousand-year-old concept of Shabbat and unplugging and taking time. I don't know if there's a, you know, there's something called the National Day of Unplugging, where everybody around, you can, nationaldayofunplugging.com. It's people take a 24-hour period based on the idea of Shabbos, and they unplug and they t- t- plug off their phone. So all of these things that we spoke about are lessons that we can learn from Shabbos. And they're not only lessons for us, but they're lessons for the world. And this is a universal benefits of observing Shabbos and we must continue to bring to the world. And as like we stressed many times before, keeping Shabbos or any idea of Shabbos and its universal messages, it's not a one, a one or nothing. You can take steps and gradual steps. If there's something in Shabbos that you find comfortable with, to start doing and accepting. And over here are just some, a few ideas, some practical ideas, which we can take steps in making our Shabbos more flavorable and more unplugged and focusing on what's more important. For example, to light Shabbat candles on time on every Friday afternoon to take a few moments and lighting Shabbat candles. Number two, when possible, to join Shabbat prayer, Shabbat services. We have a Friday night at 6, Shabbos morning 9.30, and it's a good benefit to get a good Kiddush afterwards too. So there's only good things that happen there. And then there's Kiddush. Kiddush always Jews like food, and that's a good thing too. And a cup of wine before it is also a good thing. So these are all wonderful things that we can do to observe Shabbos. And most of all, a meal with the family. Sit down, enjoy. Turn off your phone. Don't even answer it. Don't look at it. And it's the greatest thing. I remember we had a few weeks ago, actually probably a month ago, two months ago, we had some Boy Scouts that came here and they wanted to learn about Judaism. None of them were Jewish, not one. Uh, one was Jewish, that's right. One was Jewish. And I told them about the concept that I said, you know, the 24, when it comes Shabbat, no matter what's going on, just turn off the phone and it could be whom knows what. We don't go on the phone, don't text message, don't look in face, nothing. And they looked at me, what? You're crazy? And I know for teenagers, that's one of the hardest things. But the bottom line is when they get used to it and you realize you're not even tempted by it, you're not even interested by it, it gives you a greater sense of ownership to your heart that nothing controls you. And that's what Shabbos gives us. So with all these things, ultimately, the more Jews we keep Shabbos, the more, the, more than the Jews have kept Shabbos, has Shabbos kept the Jews. And therefore, it's a cornerstone of our faith that is something so important. And Shabbos gives us that opportunity to connect to God. So as you can see in exercise 5.3, which aspects of Shabbos described in this lesson can you do? How can you overcome those obstacles? And next week, we're going to go to the final lesson of this course, which is everything that we have learned is prededicated on the belief that progress is possible, is desirable, and the problem is the ancients never believed in progress. Next week, we're going to talk about Judaism's most important gift, the world that believed that progress is possible. We'll learn that Judaism provides clear guidelines how to make progress, how, what is the roadmap, and how to bring ourselves and the world around us to perfection. Talking about Shabbos, I have a commercial here, so just give me a moment. Yep. Yeah. So one more video. I know it's late. So just... A commercial for net. Oops.
Let me just go back. Here's the commercial. Shabbat in the Heights, May 17th. Did I get the right date? Yeah, I think it was May 17th. May 15th, 17th. May 15th to 17th. It's really good. It's affordable. And it's a weekend in Brooklyn. <laughs> if anybody's interested, please let me know. Is it going, would there be a bus or something? If we have enough of a group. From here? If we have a group, we can get a bus. You stay there. Yeah. And once you're there, they bus you to all the different locations. It's getting there and getting back. We can arrange transportation. Um, it's, and it's a whole how Shabbos. Much how much is the how much is the uh, the trip? I think yeah. it's two hundred fifty dollars. You don't have to if you know if we're gonna have tri- oh the, once you park you're good for the weekend. You don't have to worry about change. There's no uh, there's no parallel parking on Shabbos and Sundays. So once you park Friday afternoon you're good. No Friday afternoon after twelve thirty you can park anywhere. Oh yeah, okay yeah it depends what time you get there. But usually, once you're there for Friday afternoon, you're just parking, you don't have to worry about it. Um, but it's a great program. It's affordable. It's a, hopefully, if we can get a group of people to go, it'll be very nice. Uh, so if you're interested, what let me know. Again? 15th to the 17th of May. May. Okay? 
and you stay, you have two options. You can either stay with a family or they can put you up in a, there's no really hotels there, but like your own rented apartment, but that costs more than. <coughs> but most people stay with families. It's part of like the experience. One thing I have to tell you about Crown Heights, it's the there's it's probably the most hospitable community in the world. The amount of people that come there from just to give you an example, just in the last four weeks, last week when was the the conference was two weeks ago. There was the women's conference was two weeks ago. There were about 3,000 women in Crown Heights that don't live there, have to find places to stay. This week, this coming week, there's going to be uh, C-teens, which is over 2,500 boys and girls, teenagers, coming to stay in Crown Heights. Two weeks before the kinnis, there was a young Jewish professionals. The weeks before that was Yudshvat, which was boys from all over the world that came to be Yudshvat. So every few weeks they're hosting People and the Baruch Hashem people there have large families and everything else, and still people find place to, in their homes and in their hearts, to be able to host people. So, a lot of people host people, and it is a tough job finding hosts, but they responsible to find people. Last year it was about 500 people that joined this program. Every year it grows. They they do have a cap because of that. They have a limit of how many people they can take to this program. But uh, if I think we have a deadline. I think it's sometime in March, due uh, a due date, yes, in March to be able to uh, sign up. But it's a great program. Tell your friends and family. This that I was giving you, this is the next JLI that's going to be starting in May 5th. It's Secrets of the Bible. And I can tell you, I, saw, I already saw a sneak preview to two other courses. And those people that like the Bible, which I'm sure all of you do, it gives you a whole new uh, perspective on who... One of the people, oh, every single part of it. It starts off with the sin of the tree of knowledge. Uh, it has the flood, like regular stories that you know, just the Bible story. It gives you a whole new deep dimension to it. And Purim, of course, is coming up, which is March 10th. I know I'm overloading you with information. Please make sure you join us for Purim in England. Those that didn't sign up yet, we're looking forward to seeing you there. And uh, yeah, it'll be a bit slow because it's Purim in England. May 5th. May 15th to the 17th is the program in Brooklyn. Okay. Next time, same place, same time.